When we hear the word abide, what do you think of? One of those interesting words that you probably don't use much in the course of everyday language. Maybe a little bit of a churchy word to abide. But we do have certain ways that we use it. We talk about a law-abiding citizen to remain, to, to pay attention to. And then I looked up in the dictionary and it talked more about that. And it said this, some one of these were one of the definitions given was to continue in a place or to remain stable or fixed. And if, interestingly, even in the dictionary, it used the phrase uh, to continue in a place and used as an example to will abide in the house of the Lord. And so we think of abide maybe as this comfortable place, a place where we stay. Maybe you think, I'm going to sit and I'm going to abide by the fire on a cold winter day. Or maybe now as the spring's getting out, you're longing for the time when you can maybe go and abide by the lake and sit in a comfortable chair or sit on the dock and abide in a place. And even that language of relaxation comes along. There's a, an app, these things you can load on your phone, and it's one for prayer, and it's simply called Abide. It's a Christian app. And as it's detailed, the description of it is a, an app for to pray and relax or for Bible and sleep, which I sometimes wonder about. So Bible and sleep, so like the Bible's supposed to put you to sleep. I'm not really sure what's going on with that, but... But it's this idea that abiding is this relaxing, serene, subtle thing. And we hear about abiding here in John chapter 15, but I want to suggest abiding is much more than simply being serene and sitting. But in fact, there's something more to it. So we are in chapter 15 of John today, and so setting the scene of what's been going on. In the first 12 chapters of John Jesus has been described as the one who is the light and the life of the world. He's come to bring light and life. He's told us that he's come to give his life so that we might have life and life eternal. He's talked about the necessity of believing and putting our trust and our faith in him. And he's also talked about this mission that he's on to give his life, to be raised up. And all along, he's been moving to the scene. And then the story slows down at the beginning of chapter 13. At the beginning of chapter 13, Jesus gathers his followers for a meal together. It's the time of the Jewish Passover when the Jewish people would remember this great time of deliverance by God. When God had come and rescued his people out of slavery, when he had restored them, and they'd been longing for this new exodus, this new restoration, this new salvation. And so Jesus brings his followers and he begins to talk to them and, and give them words of comfort, but also words of what are they going to do when he's gone? And as the meal begins, he takes off his outer cloak and he wraps a towel and he washes their feet, a symbol of his being a servant, but also a symbol of the way in which he will wash them of their sins on the cross. And then he begins to tell them that he's going to go away. He wants them to be prepared. He's saying, I'm going to go away from you. And these disciples, these 12 men who have been following him for three years, who've put their hopes and their dreams in him, start to panic a little bit. They start to worry, well, what are we going to do when you're gone? And he starts to give them reassurance. And he tells them that he's going to send this Holy Spirit, this comforter, this guide to come and to encourage them and to help them along. And they're still a little bit in despair. But he kind of continues on with it. He says, no, it's going to be okay. 
And I want you to continue on. And then near the end of chapter 14, he says, come let us leave. And it's a good chance that maybe they went out to one of the vineyards nearby. And as they enter into this vineyard, Jesus begins chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. This language of being the vine and the gardener, which would have been familiar to the people then. This idea of what a grape looks like. Probably most households may have even had a vine or two outside their house to provide the grapes. And they would have recognized that on a vine, in a grapevine, there's a central vine and all the other vines come off that. And that central vine is, is the root, it's the life, and all the other ones draw from it. But they also would have been familiar with the image of the vine from their Bibles. From what we call their Old Testament, there were stories, images used by God in the Old Testament to describe the vine in the Psalms and in Hosea and in the book of Isaiah. This picture of God's people, the nation of Israel, as a vineyard. And one of the particular things was, as a vineyard, they were called to bear fruit. Now, how many of you plant gardens? How many of you plant gardens just for the fun of it? Or do you, some of you do, okay. But some of you actually want the garden to do something, right? You go out there and you work and you plant tomatoes and you plant melons and you plant beans and you corn and whatever else you plant in your garden. And you're really hoping the purpose of the garden is at the end of the summer, there'll be something out of it. Some sort of fruit from it. And when God describes the vineyard of his people in the Old Testament, that's exactly what he's saying. He tended this garden. He cultivated it. He gave it rich soil. He planted it in this place. And he said, I want you to bear fruit. And what kind of fruit? He wanted them to show the world what he was like. He wanted them to do deeds of justice and deeds of mercy and help the world to see what God is like. And so he planted them as the vineyard. But the story of the Old Testament, much of it is, they failed in it. And so he comes in and he cuts the vineyard down. And here Jesus has described himself as the vine. And in some places he describes himself as the vine. He's setting himself as the center of the story. He's saying, just as God planted this vineyard, now I am the vine. I am the one that is the center of life. And then he goes on. And he talks about the gardener. He says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. Because it starts off, and you're like, oh, Jesus is the vine, and that's great. And then it's like, well, wait a minute. And this next verse can throw us off sometimes. Because it talks about what happens to every branch that doesn't bear fruit, gets cut off. And burned up, right? You know. How many of us want to be that branch? We don't want to be that branch. I don't want to be that branch. I don't want to be cut off. I don't want to be the, the little stick that gets thrown in the fire. I want to be on the vine. I want to be bearing fruit. And so sometimes what we get caught up in is, in order to not get thrown in the fire, in order to not get cut off, I need to be bearing fruit. I need to be getting people saved. I need to be growing the church. I need to be bringing in more income. I need to be doing whatever it is we think looks like bearing fruit for Jesus. And so we read this and we get caught up on focusing on, I need to bear fruit. I need to be, bear fruit. And some of us feel like that, that, that tension, that push to be bearing fruit, to be doing good things for Jesus, to get out there and go. But is that the focus here? We're going to read it again. John 15, 4. 
Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. All right. So how many of you remember English lessons from school? All right. How many of you remember what the word imperative is? It's the command. It's the, it's the do thing. So if you go back and read through this, I want you to listen again. What are the commands? Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So are we ever told in those verses to bear fruit? What are we told to do? Remain. Remain. Some of your translations may say abide, which is where we're getting that language of abide, or to dwell. The focus is not on bearing fruit but I'm being attached. This is the way of life for the believers. It's this picture of relationship and complete dependence. We heard it earlier. And he says, in, in that verse I just read, verse five, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a picture of dependence. That apart from Jesus, apart from them, we can do nothing. And so as Jesus is painting this picture, we as eager followers of Jesus, sometimes get caught up in that, I need to bear fruit. I need to, be, I need to be doing good things for Jesus. And we forget that Jesus says, not focus there. It's a result. It's something that happens. But what he calls us to do is to remain, to abide, to dwell in this vine. Now, here's where John gets a little strange. How many of your gardens move around? I mean, you plant a garden, would it be strange to walk in your backyard and all of a sudden see the tomato plant that you planted over here, over there? Or if you have your grapes and you're growing your grapes and they're out your back door and you walk out your back door and they're not there, so you have to go out your front door and you find your grapes. You think, well, that's weird. What kind of vines do that? John 15, 16 says this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Wait a minute. What kind of vine goes anywhere? You go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So wait a minute. If you're attached to the vine, that implies you're what? Staying in one place. But here he says we're supposed to go and bear fruit. In other words, we're supposed to abide and go title of the series comes from this passage in a book by Michael Gorman with this very same title. We're supposed to abide and go. We're supposed to be doing both those things. And so we're going to take some time and think about how do we do that? How do we abide and how do we go at the same time? And what does it mean? And what is the fruit? Well, the fruit in part is love. And again, if you're paying attention as we heard the scripture read earlier, you heard that quite a bit. And one of the things is we love as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. And you will remain in my love. And I've told you this. And they says, this is my command, love each other. So one of the fruits of abiding in Jesus is love. But one of the other fruits is the works of Jesus. So if we skip back a chapter to chapter 14, verse 12, where Jesus says to his followers, very truly I tell you that whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater than the, things than these 
because I am going to the Father. So one of the fruits is doing the sorts of things that Jesus has done, of showing the world what sort of things did Jesus do. He went and showed what God's love looked like. He showed what forgiveness looked like. He taught what it looked like. He lived it out. He lived out God's justice. He lived out God's peace. He lived out God's all-inclusive kingdom. Doing the works of God is showing what God is like. It's that same picture that was given in the Old Testament. To do the works of Jesus is to do the works of God. And if you took time and went back through the Gospel of John, you would see that again and again where Jesus talks about, I am doing the work. I'm doing the work of the one who sent me. He's doing all these things. And in a sense, maybe that not better, he said, the greater, but greater in, you know, greater in scope. There's going to be this wider thing of what it is. And I like what Leslie Newbigin. Leslie Newbigin was a uh, missionary who went overseas and then came back. But this is how he described the fruit in John chapter 14. He said, fruit is simply the life of Jesus being made visible in the midst of the life of the world. Fruit is simply the life of Jesus being made visible in the midst of the life of the world. So abiding with Jesus is more than just being with Him. It's a call to bear fruit. So I'm going to read a longer quote from Leslie Newbigin, and this is where he talks, and I think he just captures this so well, says it way better than I could ever say, about what he's talking about in terms of that. He says, the gracious indwelling of God with His people is not an invitation to settle down and forget the rest of the world. It is a summon to mission, for the Lord who dwells with his people is the one who goes before them in a pillar of fire and cloud. So the promise of his presence is clinched up in the words, up, let us go hence. The older translation of that end of chapter 14, come, let us go. There is a mission to be fulfilled. There is a conflict to be waged with the powers of this world. There is a tribulation to be endured. And then he concludes this way. He does not send us out alone. He leads the way and brings us with him. We abide with him only as we go with him. For he is the one in whom the calling of Israel is fulfilled. He is the true vine. We abide with him only as we go with him. So those two things aren't separate. To abide is to be loved by Jesus. And it's to go with him. Jesus and his love for others as he loved us. Jesus invites us to be part of his mission. To participate. So sometimes we think, well, Jesus had a mission and then we've got a mission. They're not different missions. God has a mission to restore the world and to create it. And then God invites us to participate in it to participate with Him in it. We're not simply set off on our own. The Gospels don't simply have at the end Jesus saying, okay, guys, go out and go forth. I'm going to sit back here and abide by the fire. But instead, Jesus goes with us and goes along with us. Jesus is inviting us to abide and go to be with Him on a mission, to go along with Him and to be attached to Him. So what does it look like to be attached to the vine? That's the question. Well, okay, so how do I stay attached? How do I remain? How do I abide? I like that word attached is one way to think of it. <coughs> it's to stick with Jesus. To stick with Jesus wherever he may lead. Again, 
longer quote, this one from David Rensberger. He says this about abiding. He says, inwardly, it is a ceaseless orientation toward Jesus, a constant looking to him, listening for his voice, seeking his ways. Outwardly appears it is an enduring persistence in this orientation, refusing every temptation to turn elsewhere for security, companionship, or hope. So it's orienting towards Jesus, but it's also persisting in that because it isn't always easy. And he goes on, to abide in Jesus and to place Jesus, both devotion to him and discipleship to him above all else. It means letting other voices, other invitations to profit, to pleasure, sometimes even to safety, self-preservation go unheeded. It means a humble persistency in attending to Jesus and only to him and a kind of unyielding yieldedness to him. I like that. An unyielding yieldedness to him. It's orienting all of our life around Jesus and his ways in all that we do. Relationship and dependence. Relationship with Jesus as a part of the community of disciples. And this relationship of dependence, it's going to abide in Jesus is to say, apart from him, we can do nothing. I think for many of us, I know for me, that's one of the hardest things. Because for me, often what I do is I go as far as I can, do as much as I can. And when I run out of my own juice, then I look to Jesus. Like, oh man, I'm out of gas. I need, I need, I need my Jesus boost. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say... Apart from me, you can do a whole bunch of stuff, and, but you're going you're gonna to run out of gas and then I'll help you along. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. How big is nothing? Not very big, is it? How much is nothing? Not much. When you look at your checkbook and it says nothing, that's nothing, right? If you go in your cupboards and they're empty, Nothing is nothing. So when Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, that's exactly what he means. And so when the call to abide is this call to depend on him, not just when we've come to the end of our own resources, not when we've just come to the end of our own resources, not when we've just come to the end of what we can do, but to depend on him completely, just like that vine, because that's what it is. If you were to go out to your garden or to a tree out here and hack a branch off and lay it on the ground. Is the branch going to have any leaves when springtime comes? Why not? Because it's not attached to the source of life. And in the same way with us, if we run off and we're not attached to Jesus, if we're not depending on him, if we're not in relationship with him, nothing. Absolutely nothing. So the key is to abide in Jesus. And abiding is... Not just a religion that happens to be founded by Jesus. It's not just like, oh, well, I got this religion and Jesus was the founder. And it's not a spirituality that Jesus happened to teach or model. It's a person within whom we, with whom we have a relationship. That's what it's talking about when it's talking about abiding. And it's training ourselves to be aware of Christ and dwell in him everywhere. So another quote here from, got a lot of quotes today, but a lot of good. This is from Henry Nouwen, and he's talking about unceasing prayer, and I'm going to make the connection there. He says, to pray unceasingly is not to think about God rather than other things, or to talk to God instead of to other people, but rather to think, speak, and live in the presence of God. 
You know what I'm saying? Because the Apostle Paul later writes this thing. He talks about, I'll pray without ceasing. And you think, well, if I'm just praying all the time, how else am I going to do anything else? Because maybe we read that as like, how can I do anything else? If I'm praying all the time, I'm not going to be able to drive. I'm not going to be able to go to work. I mean, because I know sometimes we pray when we drive, right? But some of us don't pray very well unless our eyes are closed. So I would recommend against the praying and driving if that's the case for you. But other times you're just so focused on doing things because there are some things, if I'm doing certain things, I can't be praying and doing two things at once because the reality is most of us, we can only do one thing at a time, can't we? We pretend we have this delusion that we can multitask, but in truth we can't. And so how do you pray unceasingly? It's to recognize that we are doing all things in the presence of God, to abide in Jesus, to recognize that all that we're doing is in the presence of God. So we can take care of our kids. We can go to work. We can go to school. We can shop for groceries. We can tend our garden. We can go fishing. We can, we can be at work. We can care for the poor. We can go to a soup kitchen. We can sing. We can make music. We can knit. We can carve wood. We can do all those things in the presence of God. And that's what it means to abide in Jesus. It's to begin and to end our day. It's recognizing that all these things are connected to who God is and what he's doing. And to recognize that there are many things that threaten to disconnect us. All kinds of things that keep us from abiding and being connected. And so, what are some ways we can do that? Frank Laubach, a missionary, talked about a game with minutes. And he just created this idea of like, how many minutes a day can I make myself aware of the presence of God? Some of us like to play games and just think about through the day, like, how much of the day was I aware of God's presence with me? And one way to begin to do that oftentimes is to begin the day. Maybe with a verse. Many of us read the scripture in the morning, but maybe just take one or two verses and read it. And do a practice where you read it a couple times through and then you just reflect on it and sit in silence with it and allow that verse to go with you through the day. Because Jesus has said, as you remain in me, I will remain in you. And to be able to take that bit of scripture to recognize that Jesus is going with me through the day. And so it may be that we open our Bibles and we hear a word from God at the beginning of the day. And there's something that happens, I know. Usually after I'm finished reading, what do I do with my book? Close it up and I put it away. And it's almost as if there's this symbol of, I'm taking this and okay, I'm, I'm done with my Bible. I'm done with my word from God. And that's going to go on my shelf until I come back tomorrow. But what Jesus is saying is, take that with you wherever you go. To remain and allow it to go. In, the, in which is the value of memorizing scripture, of meditating on it. And again, for many of us, it's not an easy thing to do. But find ways to think about how can I take this with me? How can I be and remind myself that God is with me all through the day? And so I would invite you even in this coming week to think about what it means to abide with Jesus and to recognize his presence in all of your life. Maybe it's at the end of the day, looking back on the day and saying, where did I see God? Where was God and what was God doing in my life? How was God present with me? Because we all know 
the answer, when is God with us? All the time. Where is God? Everywhere. But I know for me that oftentimes I go through a lot of my day and I don't think about, how was God with me when I was at Meyer? How was God with me when I was stuck in traffic in Grand Haven? How was God with me in all these different places? And it's easy to compartmentalize my relationship with God to certain times and hours and activities. But to maybe take time at the end of the day and say, where was God with me? Or how did I see God? Because what we begin to do as we do that, we begin to train ourselves. We begin to see God in all those places. Doesn't happen overnight. You don't do it the first night and all of a sudden like God's everywhere. Sometimes it takes a while. It may take a long time. But what we begin to do, it's that habit of noticing. Because when we notice it the first time, it's like, oh yeah, I did. God was there. Or maybe it's just reminding ourselves at the end of the day. Maybe if you pray before you go to bed, you might just begin to say to yourself, think back through the activities of your day. God, when I got up this morning and was eating breakfast, you were with me. God, when I drove to work this morning, you were with me. God, when I was waiting in line at the store, you were with me. God, when I was really angry about that thing that happened, God, you were with me. God, when this... And we begin to remind ourselves of that. Then we begin to see it and to sense it. And that's what it means to abide in Jesus. And as we abide, as we remain attached to him, we'll begin to see that fruit. We'll begin to see his love come forth. So Jesus is the source of life and the vine which will allow us to bear the fruit of love. So don't start with trying to bear the fruit. Start with being attached to the vine. And to remember this, because we will all fail in this. There will be times where we forget what it means to stay attached. There will be times where we are not very attentive to God's presence and voice with us during the day. But the good news is, He is far more attentive to us than we are to Him. See, and that's where the grace comes around again, that we may forget about it, but when Jesus says, remain in me as I remain in you, and he sends the Holy Spirit, what? To be with us. So even those times we forget that he's there, doesn't mean he's not there. And that's important to remember. You think, well, I, I, you know, I just didn't think about God. Just because you didn't think about God doesn't mean... God wasn't there because God is far more attentive to us than we are to him. So may we know this one who is the vine. May we abide with him and go with him because to abide with Jesus is to go with him and to go with Jesus is to abide with him. They seem contrary, but it's the call to participate in Christ's mission in the world. So may we be the people who abide in the vine and go with the vine. May we abide and go with Jesus. Amen.